everybody. It's take four yeah. of this episode. We did. I, I guess I'll say it. I'll yeah. say it. We recorded 40 minutes, and I had messed up on the, uh, the, the routing of the microphones. We talked about so much stuff. And then we did take two, and Jordan said, is it even recording? She, well, she didn't say it like that. She said, is it recording? And I had it formatted a little differently, but it was. And then we did take three, and the dog that we're house-sitting came dog in. Dog-sitting. Dog-sitting. <laughs> he had to go to the bathroom. So we're on take four. Who knows if this will ever come out. <laughs> of our one of our favorite movies. It's called Glass. It's directed by M. Night Shyamalan. And this movie is completely misunderstood, and it is what some would say us to a secret masterpiece mm -hmm. we're gonna get into a glaster piece as blank check yes it. a glaster piece we are going to be getting into all of those details right after the break no i'm kidding it's the macaw podcast universe welcome back uh my name is micah macaw i'm jordan macaw and we cover film franchises we exist to prove people wrong when they say sequels are never better than the originals that's why we're here and We've taken a brief interlude from our Batman exploration. Oh, now the cat is here. <laughs> That's okay. He's just wandering, though. And um, we are now in the end of M. Night's original superhero mm -hmm. series that he created. Mm -hmm. And this movie came out in 2019, and we saw it in theaters, and we were mm -hmm. pretty excited about this movie. Yes. So what was your experience? I... Loved it. Saw it twice in theaters. First time you and me. Second time, I think, with my dad and my brother. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it is truly just... It really wrapped it all up in a neat bow for me and subverted expectations that we are... Expectations that we are now conditioned to, I think, expect from a superhero movie because of Marvel. And, yes. And, you know, DC, all that stuff. Well, and, and this movie came out a few months before Endgame. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting that in the same year... That like the culmination of twenty three movies, one of the one of the coolest franchises totally, ever, yeah. came out and like really defined the genre as this is what it is yes. mo mo in a movie sense. Yes, and everyone tries to copy Marvel now. Now you come out with this movie that's completely subverting expectations, and I think that's one of the main reasons why people did not like this movie. Uh -huh. And I, there are people who like this movie, but it's not like people love Split and people love Unbreakable. Yeah. They, uh, there's not a lot of love for this movie. It's more like, oh, I guess he attempted to make a I kind of feel like maybe people think like, oh, they talked too much. It was just all talking. And it's like, well, it's, this series is more of a drama. It's always been more of a drama. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Split is a pretty tight thriller. Absolutely, actually, but absolutely. But there is a lot of exposition that goes on in it. I, I, I feel like this movie's actually the perfect blend of the thriller of Split and the drama of Unbreakable. I agree. And that, that's a big thing because you're bringing those two characters, well, all the characters together with their own stuff. Yeah. Another reason why I think there's a host of people that don't like this movie is because I think when you finish Unbreakable and you have, you know, 20 years of superhero movies, you expect this movie is going to be David Dunn like, really fighting the beast the horde and fighting mr glass and it is gonna be you know a battle on top of a tower for example mm -hmm. and when he dies in a puddle <laughs> being drowned by like a normal sized man mm -hmm. it's a little bit disappointing if that's your expectation mm -hmm. and 
I don't know. This movie is just, I cannot stress how brilliant I think this movie is. Yeah. And and if you don't like it, it's it's okay if your expectations were not met or if you have like genuine complaints beyond expectations. You mm-hmm. don't have to like this movie, but maybe by the end of this, but if you, you didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe by the end of this, you'll go, oh, but I see maybe ideologically what M. Night was trying to accomplish. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we saw it in theaters. Then we uh, we bought the Blu-ray, which I thought was a combo pack that had all three. And then when we got it, it was only the movie Glass. <laughs> but you saw the cover of it, and it has all three characters. So surely you thought, this is a combo pack. I thought it was. I don't blame you. Cause, uh, it, it's misleading, but not even... How else were they going to do yeah. the cover? Yeah. That's the cover. Um, so... The movie's directed by M. Night Shyamalan. We have the music by Wes Dylan Thordson again. We have the cinematography by Mike Jolickies again. It comes out January 18th, 2019. And once again, M. Night puts up his estate and he funds this movie himself for $20 million. Mm-hmm. If you remember last week, we talked about how he kind of got into a rut, M. Night, mm-hmm. and he had to put it all out on, he had to gamble like, everything. Gamble everything so that he could really feel that artistic integrity again. Yep. And make split. Yep. So he doubles down. He did something I don't know if Tim Burton will ever do. I yes, that's such a good point, Jordan, because I feel like M Knight saw that he was becoming like the Tim Burton, where he's he's almost like a director for hire at this point, Tim Burton. Uh-huh. From like uh-huh. and um you know, Disney gives him a a movie to make, he makes it. It's okay to bad usually these days. Um, I mean, there's exceptions in there, but there's an element of. Or you give him something like Miss Peregrine's, which is like, oh, of course he would direct that. That makes so much sense. Truly, it does. Yeah. What an awful movie. I hated that movie. I also didn't like the book though. But awful gosh, movie. that movie sucked so bad. Asa Butterfield, big bummer. Yeah. The the classic. Uh, child star grows up kind of thing and it like that sounds mean but you know what I'm trying it to happens. get at yeah. Um, but yeah and uh, we've talked about Burton a lot especially in our Batman yeah, series yeah people are tired of Burton but, but it is like I wish he would because it does feel like a lot of times like in Dumbo it felt like he's just kind of on set directing like, like it doesn't feel like he's in it you don't it's see like, his vision like can you direct this, but really we just want to put your name on it because that brings people to the theater. That's how it feels. Yeah. And and what we need is is like M. Night, him to go, okay, I directed these the last three movies like nobody likes, and I don't even like them that much. What do I need to do? So he bets it all. He makes Split, mm-hmm. and then he goes, let's do it again, Glass. And mm-hmm. then this year, he's going to save cinemas with his movie Old that's coming out later in the summer. I hope so. And everyone's going to have vaccines, and I predict that that movie is going to do huge numbers. Even even for pandemic times, I think that movie is going to gross a lot of money and be one of the like top grossers of 2021. I hope so. That would be great. It's, it also makes sense that it would be him, like him or, I don't know, someone like Tarantino or something, because when theaters were kind of rebranded as we talked about an unbreakable, I think. Yeah. Like M night was among those people mm-hmm. who 
made movies so much more profitable than they ever had been. So it makes sense that he's going to be the superhero to save theaters. Well, and and we've seen in the pandemic that that kids movies and thrillers have done really really well. Yes. Um like new releases at least. And a thriller by an auteur when it's past the point where Biden is saying most people will have vaccines, I think a lot of theaters will be open by I think it comes out in July. I think that that movie you know, you got teenager, teenagers, you have adults, like What's everyone's going to go see it. Is it PG-13? I don't know if they've rated it yet, but much like curious. all of M. Night's movies, you remember them as R, you watch them and you think that's R, because it just, he, he has the power of suggestion. Yeah. But it's PG-13. <laughs> so, um, yes. So the movie, this movie though, Glass, makes $111 million domestically. And it makes 247, just just below 247 worldwide. They spent 80 million on advertising, and the movie made the profits of it were 68 million. So good job. That's a success, yep. I think. Yep. Um, and because of the deal he struck with Disney, because if you'll remember, Disney had the rights to the Unbreakable characters. So Disney and they let them use David Dunn for free. And if it does well, they get in on the money in the, the next sequel. movie. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, Universal distributed this movie in the U.S. and Disney distributed distributed it worldwide. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the deal. And um, let's see. Here's here's something I really like that um, M Night said. Uh, this is a quote from a Rolling Stones article before the movie came out, and he said, "Quote." I don't think you could have told me that making thrillers for your whole life wasn't a bad thing. At first, it was a sense of, hey, I can make anything, but that's hypocritical because when I pick up an Agatha Christie novel in my library, I have a strong expectation, so I get it. When I became happy with the idea of making thrillers for the rest of my life, everything went right. So that's why, I mean, Love that's another that. reason Love why that. I cannot Becoming wait to see Becoming content with your niche. Yeah. And knowing that that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So that's, I mean, there were so much notes on getting Unbreakable made and getting Split made. And much like almost every series we cover at a certain point, when you have they this much cachet, they're able to just make the movie. So yeah. he gets everyone together. Um, I, I'm assuming that most of these actors were able to basically waive their fees to be in a movie that's only budgeted at $20 million. Yeah. Cause, um, you were saying that Bruce Willis has some crazy deal these days. Yeah. So if I remember right, um, and if you look at Bruce Willis's IMDb, he has just an inordinate amount of movies. Um, usually action like movies, action movies that are like Liam Neeson, but they, they feel like my joke is they feel like it, they made them to keep someone's offshore account. Mm-hmm. a float or something legally or like a tax write-off or something so they don't look good they're not good um but i believe his deal is if you were to make a movie listener and you said i have one million dollars bruce willis will work one day for you he doesn't care what it is he'll just show up and work uh if you have two million dollars he'll work two days etc so i'm assuming this movie took them more than 20 days to shoot uh-huh. with him on set so i'm assuming he waived that fee especially since uh m night is a big a big director for bruce he's in a couple of his movies and yeah. like i mean he's in the sixth sense that's a pretty big deal for his career 
Um, Like there are some directors he probably is just like, oh, I will do this thing for them at a certain point because because it's almost like a respect thing. I mean, you just hope. This is just the hope. But like like Tarantino, because he was in Tarantino movies earlier on. Well, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, that, I think that's the only you're movie right, but a big role in that movie, and then um, Tiernan McTiernan. Yeah, John McTiernan for uh, Die Hard. Without John McTiernan, Bruce Willis is still a comedian, which is so weird to me because I don't think of him that way, and I don't know him as that. Yeah, I never experienced the comedy of Bruce; just him being funny just in, in movies. movies yeah, but the, not the action like, movies. And, yeah, so I would think that those three guys. I mean, I believe McTiernan. Uh, has passed away but mm. i believe the other two guys is like if they call on you you in a you do owe it to them because mm-hmm. because without tarantino and m night and mctiernan you you are not viewed the way you are and and i you know mctiernan made him an action hero and then i i really think pulp fiction and un uh six sense showed like oh he can be like really dramatic mm-hmm. and a very compelling actor and he doesn't even have to say anything hardly because yeah. he's not he does not very talkative in those movies. No. So, um, yeah, all that to say, as much as he kind of sleepwalks through movies these days, I like his performance in this movie. I think a lot. it's a good subtle. It's not a lazy subtle. No, it like feels like very Unbreakable. We kind of talked about that. Um, so with actors, Av- Adam David Thompson plays Daryl, the health nut. Uh, nurse. He is also in uh, Vampires versus the Bronx, um, Godless, a teacher, NCIS New Orleans, just like all the crime shows and just a lot of other shows. And then Luke Kirby plays Pierce, the other nurse. Um, he is in. I really liked him even more than the Health Net. Yeah, he's great. Um, Take This Waltz, Halloween uh, Resurrection. Um, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Percy, Little Voice, and then just also a lot of a lot of shows. And then uh, Sarah Paulson plays Dr. Ellie Staple. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what kind of sucks about re-recording <laughs> is we talked about Sarah Paulson for a very long time, which then got us into talking about TV shows for a very long time, and. Well, you can't recreate the conversation. It was lightning in a bottle. So all that being said, maybe I'm sure in the future you'll get that conversation again. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Sarah Paulson is in 12 Years a Slave, Carol, Ratched, American Horror. She is Brian Murphy's muse, and that's what started it all. But maybe next time we'll talk about it. Yeah, fair enough. But she is consistently incredible and i cannot wait to see her in american crime story the lewinsky season yeah and who is she in that i believe i should have looked it up because i had a chance to (laughs) i believe that she is like either the prosecutor or the defendant of whatever the that is you know i don't know much about that story per se like the legal like the the trial of it and stuff but she's like the lawyer okay you know okay so I think now we're back in the glass. Now, I, oh, I can't do this because we already did this. I was gonna ask you how long do you think the original cut of this movie was, but I did that last time. It was three forty, three twenty, three twenty. So M Night makes the first cut of this movie. It's three hours and twenty minutes, and he said, "I just kept." I looked at it though, and he goes, "Because it was my first ever true sequel." That's what he yeah, considers yeah, yeah. it, right? 
um, he goes, I knew all the characters, and I was just overriding the movie. That's yeah. what he said. So he had to shave off a lot of stuff. And what's cool is in, in all the um, Blu-rays, there's all these deleted scenes, and you can watch them with an intro by M. Night. And in the intros, he just talks about how when you are making a thriller, I just... The guy just understands the genre, mm-hmm. and he understands who he is now, I think, even more, to where, you know, there are these, there's scenes in the deleted scenes that are like seven or eight seconds long, and he just goes, it just bogs the movie down. Yeah. And when when you're not just talking about the plot or like moving character development, even, even these nice like slice of life moments, mm-hmm. it just bogs the story down. Mm-hmm. And so you got to get rid of it. Yeah, it's interesting. Because I feel like Unbreakable has a lot of those moments, slice of life kind of moments, and it totally works in that movie. That being said, there is deleted scenes even from that movie used in this movie. So he even had more he wanted to. He would originally liked to explore in that movie, and it's cool that he gets to repurpose it for this. But um, yeah, this is still, it's, it's not as dramatic as Unbreakable. It is definitely more just thriller. Yeah. Uh, because you have, uh, the Kevin character. So it has yeah. to be. And, well, and, and we don't know what Glass, their fate is. Mr. Glass is like, oh man. It's a lot of thriller. It's a lot, it's psychological thriller. It's just, it's so cool because you have these three characters and even though um, Elijah Price, Mr. Glass, un- in Unbreakable is a main character, mm-hmm. um, like I feel like this mov- movie more so than Unbreakable is truly about Mr. Glass. Oh yeah. And I mean, that's just so cool that they've each been about a different character mm-hmm. instead of like, here's Spider-Man 1, here's Spider-Man 2, and here's Spider-Man 3, and they're all about Spider-Man, which yeah. I love. But he, even even the notion of a superhero series, M. Night subverts. Yeah. Because, I mean, again, David Dunn just drowns in a pool in this movie, mm-hmm. a, a puddle of water. Yep. I mean, it's insane. And going into this, you know, because it all takes place after Unbreakable, like you said earlier, like, you, this movie starts and you're like, okay, he's really cleaning up crime. Yeah. And he kind of is. Like, he's doing the best he can, but it's, the movie is so grounded in reality, it's not, it's not what you think it would be for a comic book. Hey, it's Micah cutting in to tell you that on April 30th, I am coming out with a new music release. It's new-ish. I'm re-releasing Adam, Eve, Abel, and Cain into one release called The First Family. The reason I'm doing this is because I recorded new tracks and I got new mixes for Adam, Eve, and Abel, and so I thought I'd put it all together. I'm celebrating it by doing a release show on YouTube on the same day. That's on my YouTube channel, and that is going to premiere at 7 p.m. So April 30th, get on it, head over to whatever service you use, listen to The First Family, send me texts, send me emails, Instagram, whatever, let me know what you think, and then go to my show that's premiering on YouTube at 7 p.m. And then also after that, there is going to be an 8 p.m., Um, after show for patrons only where they can request any of my songs to play and I will play them. I probably can't pull off Roy G. Biv, though, if you're thinking of that one. So join in the fun. Now back to whatever movie we're covering. So the movie starts right with the video with the kids. Is that how it starts starts? No, the the first shot, the first scene we we meet Kevin 
That's and right. And he's with the cheerleaders. That's right. So Kevin has kidnapped um, like four cheerleaders and he's in a different, he's in a warehouse, new location. And it, it's like uh, kind of picking up where we left off with that character. Yeah. And it's only three weeks after Split. Yes, we learned that in a little bit. Well, very soon after that. Yeah, so I really like that it takes place so quickly afterward because I feel like if it took place like a year afterward, there would be so much for... Like, M. Night wouldn't be able to have the self-control to like not tell you everything that's happened. Well, and, and something that's smart is I think if it's... Like, if it'd been a year... So we already have two characters that we don't know what they've been up to for the past 19 years yeah. and their main characters, David Dunn and Mr. Glass. If you if you make this a year after Split, you have to also catch up what has been going on with the Horde. Yes. And Kevin. Yes. So it's sm- it's a smart just script move to just go, He's this is only three weeks after the that movie. So you don't have... Like, we we do see though that it looks like there's been some killings since the zoo. Another another one. So like we yeah. have the zoo one. Because, okay, so later on, well, okay. So then let's get to that when we get okay, to okay. it. So that is how it starts. But then it cuts to um, a guy walking down the street with groceries, and this kid does like this Superman punch, and this other his friend is filming it, and they think they're so cool, but they're just a bunch of scumbags who would just hurt people to get views on the internet. Yeah. Um, which I do think. <laughs> originally you asked me uh what what do you like what do you think that just means about like a commentary on superheroes social media, and social media yeah. and just all that stuff which is very fascinating like so he's he's doing this superman punch to hurt a person yeah just kind of interesting and i didn't think about it in the way that you had asked and yeah still happened. <laughs> but it is it is really interesting so um david finds the kids because they're uploading this stuff and it's just like they think they're invincible but they're not unbreakable so uh <laughs> david finds them and beats them up he as a vigilante does he yeah. he delivers justice swiftly and hard to these kids um, it is that that is a cool scene they, they are keeping well, I, yeah, the the action in this movie is so cool. It really and, is. And just to have him come in and be this kind of masked, not masked, but but cloaked figure who who turns off the lights when the the kids are there, and then he just like sh- throws them against the wall. But it's all all the action in this movie is it's so cool because it feels like a low budget movie who has to work around things, but mm-hmm. then it also plays into how M Night likes to suggest things rather than show them. Mm-hmm. Um, which we'll get into more on the final battle because yeah. it's just I love how they filmed that whole sequence. Yeah, it's so 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 cool. But yeah, I, I something I like that they think that they tackle well in this movie too is so he has for the past nineteen years has been a vigilante. Yeah, and has been cleaning up petty crime. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just the scumbags like this robberies. You find out that his son is like his oracle, or he's the guy in the chair. Yeah, so he's behind the computer. Um surveying basically people on the internet who were doing really bad things to people like the kids on doing YouTube videos that hurt people. Yeah. And his dad goes and cleans it up. But with something I think they do well later on when we meet Sarah Paulson, she does say like you, I think she says this to his son, to Joseph, your dad is hurting people who did not get their day in court. And that yeah. is what this is. That's how it, it should be. So it's like, he's hurting people. He's meeting violence with violence, you know, like he's hurting people without them even getting a chance 
to plead their case, which is just how it's set up, well, which I think is very interesting. And that's what a lot of comic books talk about yeah, in more fun ways. Like I, you know, like spider, like Spider-Man's always trying to be discovered and taken down. Batman's also like people aren't sure about him. He only does it under the cover of darkness. That seems very wrong to people, you know? Yeah. So this, this has been something I've been thinking about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've been reading a ton of Spider-Man comics. I've been watching like the Batman animated series. And uh, those two characters are very much wanted by the police. Although yeah. Batman does work in conjunction with the police. Eventually, yeah. Uh, but it's mostly like Commissioner Gordon just wants his yes. help, but yes. he's not supposed to be. Yes. Um, yeah, when he there's... puts up the bat signal, no one else sees it. It's just Gordon <laughs> and Batman. <laughs> but there's something about... Um, I haven't quite cracked it yet. Yeah. So if anyone has any thoughts on this, please text me, email me, Instagram me, whatever, because I'd be interested to discuss this. Um, when you put heroes in the real world, there are a lot of real world problems. Yeah. Like, like due process. Yeah. And maybe, maybe even, well, maybe this hero's like targeting a certain area, just as police tend to, you know, over police areas of color. Yeah. You know, um, areas where there are people of color. Rather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it brings, sometimes I think when he, like hero movies and comics, sometimes when they get like so grounded in reality, it, it, to me almost makes it more unrealistic uh-huh. because you, it, you begin asking those types of questions oh, yeah, definitely. and it's like, what is, wait, what is, and then all of a sudden you don't like Spider-Man or you don't like yeah. Batman cause you're like, what are they doing? Yeah. And so that's part of why I th- I think that's like a subconscious reason why sometimes when they come out with these like dark and gritty yeah. takes on heroes, I'm a little less interested. Yeah. Because it feels even less realistic to me. Yeah. And what I like about this is they are asking those questions, but these are heroes that they've made up in this world. Mm-hmm. And I think that that play is a lot better than being like, what would happen if Spider-Man was actually in our world right now Mm -hmm. because when i read spider-man there are those real world elements but then you have like j jonah jameson who's insane and funny and cartoony and you have these villains that are like way over the top even in batman yeah and batman you have like mr freeze and stuff like those guys could not exist in our world and sometimes when you ground everything so realistically it's like but now i'm wondering actually i would i think i'd want this person arrested yeah. But in a cartoon world, it's cool. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? No, no, yeah. It's just, it's really interesting. I think um, it, it also reminds me, funny enough, of the movie Super with Rain Wilson uh, and also directed by James Gunn because he becomes a vigilante and he, that movie is really brutal. And I think it's a little bit for laughs, but it is kind of showing like, yeah, this guy just wants yeah. to be a superhero <laughs> and he is hurt. He's hurting someone with a wrench. He just straight up like that one guy was mean to him in line. <laughs> yeah. So he leaves and comes back and starts beating him up with a wrench, which is like, no, that's not right. Yeah. But of course that movie is more comedic than this. Well, but and it's a new, like he made up. He did. He's not a superhero. He just wants to be one. So I think it w- plays a little better than taking like a character you've you've grown up with who's cartoony yeah. and putting them in the real world. Yeah, but this since the beginning of this series it has been in the real world. It's yeah, been so like real world implications. It just plays better for me personally. Yeah. So David is cleaning up 
petty crime in his area and you do see when he's talking to his son that the police do want to know who he is because his son warns him that police are really aggressively looking for you and they also have newspaper articles showing like new picture of the overseer and like yeah just people message boards are trying to figure out who this person is yeah it's great it's just awesome and it's like we're talking about it a lot the movie does not get hung up on it it's no. just it's fun conversation i but think there's i mean there's a lot of sub subtext in the first yeah well and i mean every like scene of this movie it's like we could talk about it for a really well, the, long time it also made me think makes me think of so you have kevin or the horde so in split we he had mo he had a motive for why he kidnapped the two girls anya wasn't supposed to be there but she ended up being there yeah. he had a motive to want to hurt them because they did something bad to him mm -hmm. and he stalked them and kidnapped them. And then we do see that he probably, he, he did kill the other girls. Yeah. And it makes me wonder like, what did they do to him? And then now we have these cheerleaders and we only know it's been three weeks. So I, yeah. now I'm getting, yeah. it makes me think, you know, his whole motive is like, they're, they're impure uh -huh. and they need to be like, they're food for the horde. Yeah. That's the, the base level thing. But like, he is a serial killer. <laughs> and a lot of the time, serial killers, they, they do escalate the more crimes they commit. And a lot of it is because they are getting away with it. And they think that it's almost like they think that they're gods. That's why a lot of them represent themselves in court. But uh, well, he literally does think he is a god slash evangelist. Well, he's the, the, the evangelist, yes, I love that whole thing. Um, and even that he's the next step in evolution. Yeah. And, um, and and I think I think the implication too is over the course of the since since in Split he had not become the beast ever right yeah. now it's like it's like his alter ego he can change in and out of it so it's becoming more aggressive and something he has to feed more I definitely so I think it's like when you see the these girls who are cheerleaders I wonder if it's like he saw cheerleaders and he assumed that they were impure yeah and kidnapped them yeah and is just gonna like kill them faster than he has the last the last two times you know it's just really fascinating yeah and and uh, a little a little side note um just for fun back to the point about superheroes in the real world um watchmen the alan moore series uh -huh. something that's really cool about that is all those characters are kind of based on old out-of-date comic uh -huh. book characters that they weren't using anymore. So the reflection of like the nostalgia of superheroes versus the reality yeah. plays even better than if he said like, let's make Watchmen, but with Superman, Batman and cause it, it just wouldn't have worked as well. Yeah. So Watchmen is like the best ever. Yeah. Superhero. I mean, as, as far as, um, as far as like a graphic novel, it's probably the best one. Oh yeah, I think so. For someone who hasn't read many, but that's yeah. like the best one. And then to have a a show come out where they have even another thing to say. I know it's not Alan yeah. Moore, but yeah. like like someone had something else to say that could be used in this world, and it was amazing. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. So, um, M Night shows up in this movie, uh -huh. and he is the same character that he was in Unbreakable. And he's the same character that he was in Split, mm -hmm. and he shows up to the security place, and he's representing the security at the 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 building where Fletcher, the the psychiatrist, lived. Yeah, and he, he even mentions that someone died there recently. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, so he's talking about Fletcher. Okay, not died there, but, but someone died, died in his building. Yeah. So he's upping security. Yeah, kind of cool. Um, and then he says 
that um, he he looks at David Dunn and he's like, "Hey, you look familiar." And then he goes, "You know, I used to hang out at the <laughs> at that stadium with a lot of shady guys, but I turned it around with some positive thinking." Okay. <laughs> yeah, and that's when M Knight's at his worst, I think, like writing wise, when he wants to, like. Yes, but here's the thing. For it being, we we just were talking about how grounded the series is. Yeah. But he is not afraid to put in the cheesy moments, and yeah. I love it, especially in this movie. I think there it's are endearing. Some good cheesy moments, cheesy lines, and I think it's awesome. So totally, it's not great. I mean, it's just as bad as his cameo in Split. Yeah, but it's fine. I yeah, I wouldn't cut it. It's it's um of the all the things cute, he needed to I cut, think. he didn't cut himself. Yeah, I'm just kidding. He, yeah. What what? So of his movies we've seen, what what's your favorite of his cameos? I don't remember all of them. Oh, okay, I, well my, he was good in Signs. I was going to say that one's my favorite. Yeah, he's, he's really probably good the best in Signs. Um. Okay. So, but one thing happens in this movie. That when we were sitting in the theaters, it was like Jordan and I like shot and looked at each other like, are you serious? I know. Yeah. And it's when we go to the Dunn security and we see David Dunn's son. I just assumed it's a new movie. I haven't heard of this kid in a long time. It's, They're they, going to they recast, recast him. him and it's going to be like some someone I don't know or a famous person. And then it is the kid from uh-huh. Unbreakable. Which is like, oh yeah, why wouldn't they get him? And then Especially because he's been saw, an actor this yeah, whole time. When we covered Unbreakable, he's been doing stuff the whole time. Just stuff that we haven't it's seen. It's just great. Like, yeah. that can't be overstated how insane that is. Yeah. And he adds to the cheesiness in a very fun way. Yeah. Very corny for some of the stuff that he does. However, he is also really good. Especially when it comes to the emotional moments later on in the movie. He nails it. I feel like... Uh, each time I watch the movie, I'm like, he's really good. And then the next time I'm like, he's not that good, but I like that he's in it. And then I watch it again and I go, he's really, he's, he's <laughs> it's really kind good. of a weird performance. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It sort of feels like he's in a CW show, Well, but it works. Oh, I think that's just because he's cute and young. Yeah. But what? <laughs> but um, what was I going to say, though? Oh, I just, he feels like he, like the same character as the kid. He does. He just still is just so like, my dad is a superhero and I get to help him. Yeah. That it's just a dream come true for him. And that's how he acts. And it's amazing. Yeah. And what, what makes that, like, what really challenges that t- kind of performance is when his dad is committed to a psychiatric hospital because someone is saying that he's crazy for believing he's a superhero. Yeah. And he's like, his, he's just so confused because it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. He is a superhero. It's just great. It's, it's good. It's awesome. And so we see that David Dunn like lives alone and his wife passed away, mm-hmm. um, which is, is a nice development. I'm glad they didn't, because actually when we rewatched Unbreakable, I was like, oh yeah, and they get a divorce. That's kind of weird because they do fix things here and that seems a little kind of a bummer but having her die i feel like is better oh yeah i i it's Story so wise. it's so lame in movies when um it's someone tries the whole movie well i guess i'll speak more maybe to more romantic dramatic movies but the whole movie is about the two people ending up together and they do and no one knew the movie was going to be successful but it was so they make a sequel yeah and they couldn't afford the per the the same people or the same person in the next movie or it's not as interesting 
Yeah. <laughs> so that person either needs to die or get a divorce. And it's like, well, wait, that was your true love. Yeah. It's always, it always sucks. And, and it works in this movie, I think, mostly because it's not that distracting because there are so many characters. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of like, even if she was in it, she, I mean, what would she have, like two lines? Exactly. So, yeah. Um, I mean, it is a shame because I love Robin Wright mm-hmm. and I would have loved to have seen her in it. But at the same time, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, so then there's also a scene and I, I cannot stress it enough. There are two scenes in this movie that are unused deleted scenes from Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. You can watch the Unbreakable DVD that came out before Glass came out and you watch these scenes in their entirety. They've been edited a little bit differently now. But it's insane to me. That is like, <laughs> that is so cool. That's as cool as like Captain America getting the hammer at the end of Endgame. Oh, yeah. We're just yeah. like, no wait, way. Wait, wait, I remember the one with off. this kid. What's the other one? It's when Mr. Glass, as a kid, goes to the carousel, the fairgrounds. That's from Unbreakable? They shot that for Unbreakable. Oh, I thought that they shot that for this movie. No. I didn't know that that was... No. Oh, that, that scene looks amazing. And here's what's crazy. So that scene, and it makes so much sense, on the commentary, M. Night, in the Unbreakable DVD, he's like, um, this scene I really, really loved, but it was too... There were too many edits in it. Hmm. And he said it. the the whole movie is like all these one shots and like oh. it, the, it really disrupted the flow. Yeah. But what's crazy is in Glass. So so if you watch the full deleted scene, it's like three or four minutes long. Yeah. It's really long. But in Glass, the movie, it's like thirty seconds to a minute. Uh-huh. So they cut out even even the the full deleted scene is like way longer. Uh huh. So it's just really interesting. Oh, that's wild. But it totally works in this movie because oh, this yeah. movie, though it is still doing nice long shots, it's splitting the difference between how flashy Split was and how long and methodical Unbreakable was. Yeah. So it that's makes cool. so much sense that it worked in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> they shot that in 1999. Very cool. <laughs> they shot it 20 years prior. Just awesome. <laughs> And he he also talked about how it was a bummer to cut too because it was their biggest scene in Unbreakable because there were so many extras and definitely, stuff. Definitely, definitely. And yeah. they spent like two days shooting that scene, and then to cut the entire scene is like, ah, yeah, well, we got to cut it. That's such a bummer. That's how but movies he gets to go. Use it. Yeah. Um, okay. So then, uh, our our main character David Dunn, the overseer, as the internet has dubbed him, not Twinkle Toes or something. What was, yeah. what was his joke it was, it's name? It's better than Twinkle, t- something like, something <laughs> weird like that. Um, then he's he's going on walks where he he just walks by people and they touch him and he can have visions of the person to see if they're maybe this killer, mm-hmm. this horde character. And he walks around this brick district in New Jersey. Really? Philadelphia. Yeah, Philadelphia, okay. that's where it takes place. Okay, thank um, you. I don't know why, but... The East Coast just, I get so confused it's sometimes It's an M. Night movie, Micah. Why I know. would it ever be shot anywhere <laughs> I else? I think because we're watching uh, Sopranos, I'm like, oh, it's on the East Coast. You know, they're all in New Jersey. Uh- <laughs> oh, okay. That's weird. So, yeah, he's touching people. That sounds weird. <laughs> he's in the area sniffing crime like McGruff the crime dog. and <laughs> I'm McGruff. He is, you know, talking, to, he talks to his son, um, like, via on the phone with him, I guess. Yeah. Um, and you know, he's not, he's not getting anyone. So he's going to head back. Yeah. 
Um, right before he does, though, um, Kevin or the Horde, Hedwig, I think is who it is at that moment, walks by yeah, him yeah. and bumps into him. And David sees the cheerleaders in the warehouse. Yeah. He sees the vision and great acting there. So he goes to the warehouse. Meanwhile, Hedwig continues to go like underground to oh that seems cool into a nice yellow hallway yes oh yeah so i looked up the like why yellow for him well i didn't look it up i found it found why it was yellow for him and it's that color is often associated with like religion like buddhism or hinduism um so kind of a religious kind of color fervor religious evangelistic which is who he claims to be is the the one who represents the broken and the fallen yeah awesome so he goes underground where um some homeless people are and he becomes the horde in front of them and they ask him who he is and he says i'm you so i'm assuming he just did that as like uh, you know that god complex yeah to to transform in front of his who he probably believes are his, his followers. Disciples. Yeah. Um, and then, by the way, James McAvoy has number one billing in this movie. Very cool. Earns it, but that's yeah. crazy that he beat out Willis. Um, and Jackson. Yeah. I mean, I would have probably given it to him because Jackson is the and guy. Yeah. He's always oh, he's the, and the and guy. guy. He's the and or the with. And we love that. Although I am still surprised that he's not in the billing outside of that. But, you know, whatever. He, I think he likes being and. Mm-hmm. Um, so... He goes so so then there is a fight between the uh the overseer and the horde. And it's cool. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Um the cheerleaders make it out. And and I what one of the things I really, really loved about um the McAvoy fighting is it's very like trapped animal in a room. Uh-huh. They do a really good job. Like like there's that scene where David pushes him up against the pillar and he kicks off the pillar. Uh-huh. And it, all of his movements are just very, like, I could see Marvel shooting this movie, and you would not distinguish his fighting style from any other villain. Yeah. Um, what's but cool, he has a distinct fighting, fighting style. Yeah, and what's cool, too, so, you know, later on in the movie, Sarah Paulson's trying to get them to believe that they're not super. Yeah. And I don't think, as a viewer, at any point, you're like, maybe she's right. Well, we'll get to that. When sure, we get there, sure. Because I have like, a couple thoughts. Because I've seen it before when we were watching this scene of the movie and seeing them like actually like they run into a pillar and it like crumbles. A human body wouldn't do that. Yeah. Just cool. Like kind of like there is evidence, but it whatever. Well, my theory is this is all in Haley Joel Osment's head. Oh. From the kid from Sixth Sense. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. So they're fighting, and then they fall out a window. Uh, you you mentioned this cheerleaders are safe. Mm cool that he just barely has to exert any energy to pry off with the crowbar the bar that they're connected to yeah and later on when um i think sarah paulson's talking to david about his vigilantism and Uh how it's not great uh she mentions how i think he even said something like the girls got away or they're safe and she's like yeah with one one of them broken arm and ribs yeah and it's like well they would have been eaten yeah alive yeah because the beast throws a door at them so yeah, well, no, no, I know the the how that happens, but if David wasn't there, right, right. they yeah. would have died. It, it, that was, it's just interesting. But yeah. she's, she's just being manipulative. Yeah. Um, so they fall out this window, and they're fighting, like, and the, it's, the rain is coming down. So as a viewer, you're like, uh-oh, David he could be in trouble. But then all these lights flash, and they, they flash, and they make 
the horde like change personalities every time they flash mm. and he's like weak and he's going what do we do what do we do what did we do I, I i don't know i don't know what's going on yeah and then um you know david's standing there and there's all these police and they've been captured mm-hmm. and so <laughs> i mean my first viewing I'm like, what is this movie doing? Because that's just an insane way to start the movie. I know. And I mean, at the same time, you had seen in the previews that they were all in one area together, like sitting down in like a psychiatric you mean type in the thing. the trailer? The trailer, yeah, for the movie. Yeah. But still, it was like, okay, I guess yeah, we're like, getting there. Yeah, like what's going on? And then now we're going to spend the rest of the movie at this mental institution. Mm-hmm. That alone insane for a superhero movie Mm -hmm. and we get introduced to sarah paulson now when you watched the movie for the first time did you have an inkling that she was a bad guy i wasn't i was a i didn't feel like i could trust her most of the time just because and not even like i thought that she had an ulterior motive just like that she misunderstood almost more yeah um she is like a she's like she only has three days to do what she needs to do with them, uh-huh. which means that this isn't like she doesn't work at this hospital. Right. So it's like, but, but like she is a special doctor, uh-huh. you know, so she came in for this special purpose. And it is a little funny that it's like she has three days. Yeah. Like that's also kind of weird, but it's a movie. So maybe it's yeah, not. Yeah. But, um, but I also, uh, it, it was just, yeah, I just don't know if I could quite trust her, but it's like, but she's being so professional. <laughs> Yeah. i don't know i i think may, maybe i'm just too much of a trusting viewer or something or maybe it's me just not wanting to know what happens in a movie and be surprised because the whole time i'm like oh interesting i i, I think i thought they were gonna go more with like at some point she believes and then she helps david oh interesting you know like she sees what's going on okay and when she reaches for him in the puddle i did not expect what happened but i want to save that yeah um, I think, yeah, so they are at the psychiatric hospital and um, they're all in their own rooms. Uh, David is in a room that's rigged yeah. with a bunch of hoses, which is fun. Like, you know, it, it's just so fascinating because it's like she's trying to prove to him that he is not super. Yeah. Why does she put all this water? But it's like, but if he was, uh, if he, you know, was crazy, he would believe that yeah. the water. So it's like you oh, do I have love him this there. Movie so and much. then same with, um, well, well, with, with, Kevin, like he does have, uh, he does experience a, a mental disability. Like he truly yeah, does. Yeah. Um. So, like he has a room where the, there's those lights. So he, if he gets to a certain part of the room, it will flash and he will snap out of whatever person he is to another person. Yeah. Whatever. So. And we still, th- we're we're like a half hour into the movie. We have not seen hide nor hair of Mister Glass mm-hmm. yet. Which does make for a good and performance, frankly. Mm -hmm. But still, I think he's a main player. So what's cool about this next kind of sequence is she's kind of explaining, um, you know, what you guys have been doing is wrong, both of you, and um, we're seeing the limitations of the rooms and how Uh how they really are secured in those Uh rooms. Because we've seen how insane these characters are. In their in their strength, and me as a viewer, I'm like, I buy it. Like mm-hmm. David can't get out of here, and Kevin can't get out of here. Mm-hmm. So they're stuck in there, and they're having some nice monologues. We're meeting the staff, who are kind of an interesting collection of characters. Yep. And then now Anya Taylor Joy is walking around a school. She just got back from an art class via the deleted scenes, 
and <laughs> okay, <laughs> and she gets called into the principal's office, and they said they found the guy that they found Kevin. They found Kevin, and we find out she's going to the same high school as Joseph, who went mm-hmm. to the same high school as David. You also find out that she is with a foster family now, so she, yeah. things are looking good for her. Yeah, she's out of her bad situation. Uh, but when she is told this, she, um, you know, it's crazy because it's only happened three weeks ago. What happened to her? This would like, be it's my still traumatic to her, but because she is an empath, she what her response is she wants to see him. Yeah, and I think that would be my really my only complaint with the movie, and and it's not something I can't overlook. That it's like I don't I don't know that you're you would develop your character and your trauma and stuff in three weeks. That that's maybe it. Like that was just such a I traumatic buy it because event. to me she is an empath on a level that's not supernatural but almost like that's that's how charismatic of a person she is i would argue she is it is supernatural yeah do you think they make that pretty clear i think she is a superhero yeah in the in the movie i think the movie posits that i think it does too because when she visits kevin she touches him and the camera really focuses on her touching him and he completely calms down Mm -hmm. and she's able to um like capture his attention mm-hmm. and empathize with him and sympathize with him. And I, I think she has like, um, Oh, what's the a mantis in guardians volume two where she can touch people yeah, and yeah, change yeah, yeah. their emotions. Yeah. I think and feel their emotions. Like if he were to make another movie and he made it about her and, and she could change people's emotions and control their emotions, stuff like that. I would, I would rewatch this and be like, Oh yeah, he laid it all out on the table. Yeah. That's how I feel about this movie. But I think because of that is why I don't care about how short of a time it's been. I think that's a great point. I think you kind of argued me out of that. And now I don't have to have that complaint. You're welcome. Yes. Now it's even better. <laughs> so um, then we get. So so um, his son tries to visit. I'm just well, he, hitting those. He side does characters, visit. And he has all these talking points. Which is a pretty funny. Very funny. He's just trying to make up stories to try to get his Jordan, dad out. You have to admit it's funny. It's funny. Um. So and, and you know Sarah Paulson, Doctor Ellie Fisher Staple. Staple uh, are she's not buying it for a second, and yeah. she is even trying to convince his son like he he it's delusion. It's like the the greatest delusion of grandeur or a specific kind is what she calls it, and she's even trying to get her his son to believe it. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah, and he can't. He, it's just he can't. Yeah, he, he is so bewildered by this whole thing and i think he does such a wonderful job did you catch that when he walks out of the um that like (laughs) the hospital this is so cool he's he's hearkening back to the first shot we ever see him in the series because when we first upside down he's upside down (gasps) and his world is not right oh my gosh because in the beginning of unbreakable he's upside down and he turns right kind of like what they do with glass yeah and it it's like throughout that movie, he kind of figures his own life calling out yeah. with his dad. And then in this movie, he they completely destroy it. So so the camera Holy follows crap. him and makes him go upside down again because his world has been turned upside He's down. Done it again. again. <laughs> <laughs> it's a glaster piece, folks. That's cool. How could you not love this movie? So shortly after that, Anya shows up, right? Or um Casey shows up to also try to see Kevin. Yeah, um, that's the impasse scene we were just talking about. But if you yeah, want to so include st- more, you're allowed. Staple <laughs> does not want her to. Staple is like, why would you want to? 
This yeah, man yeah. kidnapped you and was going to murder you. But she also understands like he might, she might be able to get something out of him. Yeah. So she does allow her to see him. And like you said, he, she touches him and Kevin is brought forth. Just every time Kevin is brought forth, it is, you just want to cry. It's so amazing. Yeah. And she says that he, her experience with him gave her the courage to, um, to talk, to tell someone about her uncle and he's in jail now. Yeah. Which is nice because remember we talked about in the last episode that if there's not another movie after Split, you kind of you can argue either way on what she did in that situation. Oh, for me, I'm like you have to believe that she told someone. Well, that's what I would want to believe, but yeah. I'm I. It's not that a movie needs to hold your hand, but I'm glad that they say like they I, make I it need clear. that. I yeah. need that. So great. Uh, but what is cool in this movie <laughs> <Great>. too? <laughs> we get a lot of different characters from. Um, from James McAvoy that we didn't see in the last movie. A lot of that is because of the flashing lights. It's just like calling forth characters who I think have been suppressed because yeah, of the horde. Yeah. Um, get like so the, is it Irish twins? You have Irish twins. <laughs> yeah. You have someone who speaks Spanish. Um, you have uh, some Southern guy. Anyway, and a lot of some of them come forth and are like, I don't, I'm not for this horde thing. Yeah. Like, I don't support this, but they're very quickly suppressed by Dennis or Patricia or someone else. They're, it's very, um, the, the scenes where he's just changing back and forth, it's like James McAvoy is just showing off at this point. Like, <laughs> yeah. this, how can you even do this? It's very cool. His also, just at the, more toward the end of the movie as he's changing in and out of different personalities and it's close-ups it's like how do you do that i don't get that i don't know either man it's a, it's a great performance i know so now let's talk about mrs price because mm -hmm. she's back mm -hmm. folks she's back and Elijah's now mom. she's the age well yeah she's the age that she was at the end of unbreakable that they aged her up to and yeah. it's the same actress what and she is Again, I will remind people, younger than Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Just crazy. Um, she's so good. She's so she's good. So, so good. naturally, she comes to the hospital. Sh Charlene Woodard, right? Something, I think that's, yeah. I believe that's her name. I just want to look it up to confirm. Yep, Charlene Woodard. So she comes. Of course, she's been coming here for years because her son has been here ever since the end of Unbreakable. Well, more or less, yeah, you know? Yeah. So, And she's like, try to call every week. Of course, sometimes I don't get there. Um, but she is now, this is the first time she's meeting Staple. So it's like, you know, a special doctor is here to come look at her son's special case to which she gives Staple a lot of information about her son, mm -hmm. about how one time you even looked at a blueprint of, I think the building, the, like electrical. Yeah. Like a technician, like an electrician left out an electrical readout of, of the, the blueprint. And he was able to like almost knock escape, out the power. just knock out the power, do whatever. Like he's just so smart. So, to which, you know, Staples just learning more information about him on how to keep him here and manipulate him and all this stuff. Um, really, really gets great scene. And is it the same part of the movie she goes to talk to her son? Yeah, but before that, we do find out, like, officially that Sarah Paulson is there because she is someone who tours around mm -hmm. and there's more and more people these days, mm -hmm. which I think is a commentary on the movie franchises and franchises and stuff there's more and more people these days that believe they're superheroes mm -hmm. and so i come to like get to address, rid of that delusion to address it yeah like it's enough of a problem that the medical community's like this is an issue this yes. is like a um an offshoot that we're gonna have to add to the next book edition of uh -huh. 
book stuff. Yeah. Okay. Medical book stuff, whatever. Medical journals. Just say that. That's it. Um, so that's cool. Mm-hmm. And that feels like a kind of a commentary on the times mm-hmm. and the, the studio system and stuff. So you're going, interesting, Shyamalan. You're bringing out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Give me some more. Then she goes into the room with... Well, what did she talk to him about? Do you remember? Well, I think um, she just kind of says that she's um, like like you were never... Like you were always too smart for this world. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I still love... It's basically just I still love you mm-hmm. and I know you're going to be okay. You mm-hmm. know that... You know, it's a motherly. And she has... Whew, when we get to the end of the movie, come on. Right. Forget about it. Um... So okay. then we have the unbreakable scene. The flashback to his son? Yeah, which okay. we talked about. Oh, I love that scene. Little Joseph, is. he says, I'm not scared anymore, Dad. Or is that what he says? I'm not scared anymore? Yeah. And he, I think he's like, just because I know. And he's upside down in that scene, too, which is. is kind of interesting. Um, yeah, he goes, I know your um, secret identity or something, yeah. like, or your alter ego or whatever. Yeah. It, it's just so, it's so beautiful because all of unbreakable, you you saw that, his family could never connect with him. Mm-hmm. And in that movie, his son was f- like, finally was able to connect with him. He was finally able to connect with his son because he allowed him inside, you yeah. know, to, to know who he was. Yeah. Um, makes me want to cry just thinking about it. <laughs> then uh, also, I just want to point out that Sam Jackson is doing this eye twitch thing and he's completely catatonic. Mm-hmm. He's very he's heavily sedated because he has caused so much trouble at this hospital. And and some we just neglect that this man who is in so many movies is not capable of turning in a bad performance. Mm-hmm. Even if the movie's bad, he's still so good. Mm-hmm. He is a national treasure. Yeah, we love Samuel treasure, Jackson. I would say, and he is welcome on the podcast anytime. <laughs> <laughs> but um, okay, so Glass, there's just we see him outside of his room. And uh-huh. his door's wide open. And this is after Ellie, I think, meets with him and tells him that she's installed like a hundred new cameras. Yeah, yeah. She's also told David that there is like a fifteen thousand gallon, uh, wa- water. It's thick. I don't know. Water a tank. Water tank that will is rigged to shoot him with water. Um. So yeah, she. T- you see all these dudes putting cameras around uh-huh. that are new, and then sh- soon after that, Elijah gets out of his room. Gets out of his room, and the the two um. What are those people like caregivers? Nurses. Nurses. My goodness. They they see him and they're kind of like, How'd you get out of here? But he's just sitting there catatonic mm-hmm. and they just put him in because they don't want to get in trouble. Uh-huh. Works for uh-huh. me. And it's it's just kind of creepy because right then and there, you I mean, you're already suspicious. Oh, of course, we've seen trailers where he's t- talking and stuff like that, but you're still like, what is he doing? Mm. And then when you see that, you go, Okay, okay, here we go. Like, like think, this is when the ride begins. Do you think it's interesting that he's in a wheelchair the whole movie? Um, well, he was uh, in a wheelchair for, in glass. The whole time? I mean, unbreakable once he falls down the stairs. Yeah. So you think since then he's never got out of a wheelchair? I guess so, yeah. It, well, I don't know. I just It's great. It's just interesting. Because as we know, his weakness is he has brittle bones. Yeah. His his power is his brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, do you think it's interesting I, I just that think he's in a wheelchair? I think it um, accentuates his power, which is his brain, because yeah. he cannot do anything physically. Well, it's kind of like a Professor X kind of thing from X-Men. Okay. You yeah. Know? Well, yeah. I, yeah. I just think it's great. Great. <laughs> great choice. Yeah. Um, 
Let's see. She says his name and we get the Jaws shot. Yeah, we get another Jaws shot in this movie. Um, well, Staple talks to James McAvoy and he is kind of getting crazy. I, I skipped I skipped oh, something, okay. though. But that's so, when she says Kevin's name. And yeah, that's when we go it. to the pink room. That's I forgot to. Yes, that's yes, yes. the next scene in this okay. movie. So we go to this room and it's all pink. That's Ellie's color. Uh-huh. Um, it looks awesome. Mm-hmm. You can see set photos. That's really looks like that. Mm. And we have David on the right. He's in green. We have Kevin in the middle. He's in yellow. And then they wheel in Mr. Glass. And he's in purple. Bruce Willis. Yes, he's in purple. And Bruce Willis's reaction is good. Mm-hmm. He's like, what is he doing here? This guy's killed a ton of people. And he's basically saying, like, we might be crazy. But he's a psycho. Like, uh-huh. get this guy out uh-huh. of here. Yeah. And they get in there. And then this is when Sarah Paulson presents the case that they are not superheroes. And she goes to each person individually to do it. And yes. um, I think she starts with... Did she start with David? Yeah. So she starts with David. And like we said the whole time, she's just trying to convince him of things. They did an MRI. And she shows him there's this cloud in your prefrontal for- cortex that could have um, ha- occurred during the train accident. Mm-hmm. And she believes... That is like when he started having the delusion. Having the delusion. Um, I think it's cool that they don't show us. Like she's just pointing at this thing with a ton of brains on it. I never see a shadow on a pre. pre yeah, I don't know cortex. what it is. Like if, if they really were trying to convince us, they would have done yeah. something. Doesn't matter. So um, and then she's also talking to him about, you know, like how do you know someone's bad? And he, I just love it. He's like, you know, it's not easy to explain. It sounds crazy when I explain it. Yeah. But he explains it. He touches someone and he has a feeling. And she's t- she starts talking about illusionists. Like the best illusionists of the world can predict anything about anyone based on the most minute uh, social cues. And she's like, I think you are an extraordinary. I don't think illusionist is the word she's mentalist. 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 Yeah. Yeah. You're like the most extraordinary kind of mentalist. And you're your delusion has caused you to think that that makes you super. Um, now I want to explain what I'm thinking the first time I watched the movie. Okay. I'm watching it and maybe I'm naive again, but I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm starting to think about the things in unbreakable and mm. split. And I'm going, and, and I'm, I'm kind of like, what are you doing? M night? Like, mm. Are, is the twist of this movie that those movies were all a farce? Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. And I'm going, that doesn't make sense. Maybe it does. And then she's explaining to Kevin, like, oh, those bars with with a little pressure, I was able to move them. It was hard, but I was able to do it. And I'm going, is that like, is this the M. Night Sixth Sense thing? And we're going to find out like, unbreakable and and i think i remember even thinking like that like ruins unbreakable if he's not if he's not unbreakable yeah so i was kind of buying it i i didn't want to (laughs) i didn't want to but i was like okay so when she's talking to david she goes through a whole thing and i like that he's like you were talking about a chain of events that never happened a a chain of thoughts that never occurred in my brain so david is pretty unmovable like he's pretty much still grounded um, she probably is planning a little bit of a se- well. She does plan a seed for him, and then she talks to Kevin, or I think it's she's talking to Dennis, and um, she just does. like the, the bar thing, like you said. Yeah. Um, and you can see what, what does she say exactly that gets him to like lose expression? Was it the bar? Well, she says Kevin Wendell Crumb, and that's when we have what's what I, I looked it up because I wanted to know for sure. It's called a dolly zoom slash a vertigo shot slash a jaw shot. People call okay. it all three of those things. 
and they zoom in and that's when he loses expression and he's kind of like realizing what's going on because he's Kevin again. Okay. Um, and Kevin really doesn't know anything because really, all no, of the personalities just... were created. Well, the the mental disability he experiences is like his body protecting Kevin, his brain protecting Kevin yeah. from all of his trauma. Yeah. And um, all that is wild. And And I think as a viewer the first time, I'm just thinking like, I don't know if this makes sense, if this is the explanation for these movies. Like, I'm going to need more to really like what this movie's throwing down. Yeah. But that's not what he's doing. That's yeah. not what he's doing. Yeah. So then Anya Taylor-Joy goes to a comic book shop. So does um, Joseph. Wait, we didn't talk about Glass. Oh, yeah. Because she goes to him, and the when it's shown her, it's a Dutch angle, right? Oh, yeah. Which, I like, isn't that often used to be like something is not right? Almost yeah, but like we are she, seeing it from his perspective because his face true, true, is true. at that However, angle. However, he's the smartest one. Yeah. So he, I, I just he feel like he sees her it, for what she is. Yeah, Get out trying, of here, George. Trying to convince him that, or you, she's lying to him and manipulating all of them. And I can't remember exactly what she says. He doesn't respond anyway because he's pretending to be sedated. Or she, she says like, I don't need this to do an MRI on you cool. because there have been so many in the past because you've been here for so long. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. It's just too cool. It's too cool. Yeah. How can you not love it? I know. So, you know, Anya starts like looking up stuff and she's seeing actual comic book panels that look like the beast and are pulling apart iron mm. bars. So she's she's starting to buy this whole comic book superhero thing. Yep. And Joseph is trying to <laughs> I love this. He goes to the same comic book shop in the first movie and we're assuming it's That's the same. That's where Anya goes to. Oh, okay. Yeah. And we're and assuming it's the same owner from the first like movie. It's the same guy. And he goes there and he's looking in heroes. He's just trying to find answers in comic books and he's not finding them. Then he goes to the villain section and he grabs Which, one. Mind you, heroes is in a neon green sign. Yeah. Villains yeah. is in a neon purple sign. Yeah. We don't even need to be subtle anymore. No. So he. It's also just nice to watch <laughs> a superhero movie that's really colorful. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. So he grabs this one and it shows you know some villain and it says who are his parents the secret revealed in this issue yeah and then he's like hmm and he starts researching who is kevin's dad uh-huh and then he he has a great reaction and of course we talked about it in our split episode like it's kind of obvious um but i didn't catch it oh when i don't I was think it's it. obvious well, it, well it, I mean, it's, it a, it's a great insight. It's but, a great twist because I love the kind of twists that make you feel like an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But what's so great is I didn't catch until the last time we watched Split. Is they do say that his dad died on a train. They do because I didn't know that when I watched Glass. I didn't catch it. And I, I think know, there were fan theories after Split that it was yeah, the same train. And I didn't know I needed to. Yeah. So, but even when it came out, I feel like a lot of the times this twist is so huge for something that's so such a big concept and movie that it's like, yeah, okay, of course. Yeah. But now it's like, no, of course. Yeah. He did. It was his dad. So he's researching stuff and he has kind of a big reaction at the computer, but you don't see what he's uh, looking uh, at. And you're like, oh no, what is it? I know, it? I know. I, this is so crazy. When, when I was watching it the first time, I'm going like, what could be, because when, when, a, when, a, when a director shows you a shot like that, they want you to have that reaction. Uh -huh. So I'm like, what could they reveal that is going to give me that reaction? Uh -huh. And then later... Mr. Glass, get, when he gets out of his room and he researches it, Jackson's performance on this is crazy. Oh, it's incredible. He, he drops the folder. Yeah. And he 
it's like he's about to cry almost. He's like, uh-huh. I can't believe it. And again, I'm going, what could be big enough that I would have that reaction? Uh-huh. To me, it's absolutely satisfying. It pays off I love in dividends. It. So, okay, so they're doing some comic book research. And then I think um, Anya, sorry, Casey, Joseph, and uh, Miss Mrs. Glass, Miss Glass, go to uh, Staple. And they're all trying to be like, you're being like, what are you doing? Like what is really going on here? And they're all, they're all using comic books as their resources. And staple is like, do you hear yourself talking? Yeah. You were talking about fictional creations that like kids consume for children. This does, this is like ridiculous. Like I, you know, I'm about to commit you probably for being so delusional. She's doing such a great job. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's a really big moment in that scene that I can't remember, but anyway. Yeah, so they're they're doing that, and then this is when we have the whole glass mm. sequence. This is this is then this is when the movie, for me, I'm I'm like okay, now I'm like officially locked in, and I can trust the movie from here on out because you just don't know where it's headed. But this whole sequence, Mister Glass, he's he's been like faking his pill eating. And he's not been catatonic. He's been faking it the whole time. Mm -hmm. And he gets out and he breaks the beast out. It's this whole great sequence. He talks about him. He says he's going to do it. Hold on. We're jumping to conclusions. (laughs) He breaks out of his room at one point and does a lot of stuff that we don't really understand he's doing. That's when he sees something in Kevin's file that makes him go crazy or the big reaction. Then he goes to Kevin's room and talks to Patricia I think it's mostly Patricia he's talking to mm-hmm. for a good couple minutes. Yeah. Uh, about like he admires him. He thinks that he's meant for big things. He thinks that this doctor is crazy. And then he says, it looks like the bad guys are teaming up. Yes. Come on. And he, he talks about, it is revealed earlier in the movie that there is this new skyscraper. That's going to be the biggest building in Philadelphia. The opening day is yeah that morning because yeah. it's the middle of the night. And the Osaka Tower, I think. Yeah. So um, it's like that's where the show in every comic book, there's a showdown between yeah. villain and hero. And that's where it's going to happen. You need to demonstrate what you can do in front of a large audience. That's what any villain has to do. Yes. And to which Patricia slash the Horde are like, absolutely, you're right. Yeah. Like we that's where we will gain disciples. Yeah. So they create this plan. He's going to come back and break him out and they're going to get out together. Um, Glass also talks to David over an intercom. And David at this point has pretty much given up. He doesn't know what to think anymore and he can't get out of the room. Well, and, and, and Mr. Glass says over the speaker, she's like, I turn off the water and the beast is going to head to this tower and I'm going to um, blow up the tower. Yeah. And he goes, it'd take a real hero to stop us. And he's like, but I guess you don't believe you're a hero anymore. Um, and a puny metal door is not going to stop someone with superhuman strength. But if you don't have any superhuman strength, I guess you're going to be stuck here. Yeah. And David's kind of questioning everything about his life. Yeah. And then, and then he starts running at the door, mm-hmm. the heroic moment. And when he sees that he's made an imprint in the door, his reaction, it's awesome. like, Oh my gosh, forget about it. Now there is a deleted scene in this that I think is really cool where as as Glass and the Horde are breaking out of the um mental institution, the Horde like walks into this hallway and there are all these other 
people who are in the institution, mm-hmm. and he walks by like he's blessing them. Oh, interesting. And it's a very creepy scene, and they're, like, worshiping him. They're like, oh, oh, and stuff, and he's putting his hand on them and just like, <sighs> and, and oh. it's furthering that idea about, like, the God complex and uh-huh. all that stuff. That was That's cool. I get that it's not in the movie, but it, it was a really, you know, sometimes you see a deleted scene and you're like, dang, that's cool, and yeah. that was one of them. Yeah. So then are we good to take everyone outside? David gets out of his room. Um, the horde and well, no, Patricia and Glass go through the basement, specifically the basement. During all of this, Sarah or Ellie makes it here, discovers that people oh no, this is when she's talking to son, Casey, and mom. She gets a notification on her computer that says code one, prisoners out. Yeah. Or not prisoners, patients out of their rooms. Emergencies going on. She then um, tries to, she goes to the cameras and she sees Daryl is dead in Mr. Glass's room because he killed him. He slit yeah. his throat. And then we also see later that the horde killed the other nurse. Um, yeah. So they've like had several minutes to escape. Yeah. So it was full on panic mode. She calls out another code. Like this is something bad's going on. Um, and she's like, they, they went through the basement that buys us time. Yeah. So now we're outside. Yeah. And and I will say the music in this is crazy. Mm-hmm. It's doing this ticking kind mm-hmm. of thing. And the fact that Mr. Glass switched out the machine and stuff, and we see this whole... And he's got the coolest outfit. It's so cool. Yeah. So then they go outside, and then David breaks into the locker, and he puts on his outfit, and mm-hmm. it like flows in the wind like a cape. Mm-hmm. It's like a hero donning his cape. Awesome. Then we go outside. We're in the salon. Now... If you pause the movie, you're about an hour into a two-hour movie, and it's like, it's like, of course. It, it, so, so this is one of my biggest uh, things that I think take this from a really cool movie to a masterpiece and like a, a, a subversive movie. Mm-hmm. So we have what we've been conditioned as the second act fight, and it's about to happen. And the hero's going to kind of lose. The bad guys are going to get away. And they're going to get to this tower that they keep talking about. And it's even at the right time in a movie when this would happen. That's how far M. Night goes with this thing. Mm -hmm. But guess what, folks? The next, like, 40 minutes are the final battle. And they never get to the big battle. Mm -hmm. So this is like if you're watching Avengers and they have to get to the Infinity Stones or something. They're in this one area, and they never even get to that area. Mm-hmm. That's this movie. Mm-hmm. They never have the big bad fight. They do because we still get to see it, but it's not. It's not. It's the, basically in a controlled it's, environment. It's not in front of people. I can't even believe that he did that, and people didn't get that. Yeah, like that is one of the coolest things I've ever seen in a movie. Even beyond the twists, mm-hmm. just the fact that you keep gearing up for this, and then he goes, he pulls the rug out from under you, and he goes, "No, that was the fight." I usually in movies when they set up things like locations people need to go to or things that they need to go do, sometimes that really stresses me out because it's yeah. been like thirty minutes and they still have three more things to do for some reason. Not this movie, no. And I think it could be because I was just along for the ride. But I can understand people being like, they they still have to go to the tower? Is this like a five-hour movie? Like, how long is this thing? Well, but well, yeah, and it's it's crazy because as the fight starts winding down, I'm kind of like, 
are they gonna get there? And then when they don't, you're just like, no way. I know, I know. So, um, the horde and David are fighting. Right before that, the horde throws two girls into the back of back of the of a truck or of a van. Uh, it's almost like he became the horde, and he's like, uh, "People who are weaker than me, get in here, and I'll finish you off later." So they start fighting. Joseph, Casey, and the and Miss Miss Glass are there witnessing the whole thing and are trying to figure out what to do. Staple goes up to Casey and is like, "You need to do something with Kevin. You need to get Kevin here. Like, you got to do something." And it makes sense that at this point, you know, like Casey's like, "Well, it, it doesn't even matter if Staple is good or bad." That just needs to happen because yeah. he's going to hurt people. So she's like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll try to do something. Although it's a while until she gets to even do anything because she yeah. could have probably been killed. Um, and Glass is kind of watching the whole thing too, but it's, ba- you know, like the biggest smile on his face. And he's seeing he's, the showdown. He's created all of this. He knows now that he's created all of this. So um, a SWAT and, team shows up too. Yeah. And that further complicates things. And let's just, so I want to talk a little bit about the action in the sequence. Yeah. We have, and Mike Jolicki's great job on the cinematography. We have big, wide shots. The uh-huh. action is super clear. Uh-huh. This sequence, to me, maybe this is a preference thing, I would say it's better than 95% of the Marvel fights in the MCU. Mm-hmm. 95. Mm-hmm. Um, there's emotion. There's real interesting action. And there are things like, like him picking up the police car. That's one shot where he's doing it, and it is James McAvoy picking. I mean, obviously it's well, yeah, there's fake, effects, but yeah, but and it's an angle I had not seen something like that before. Yeah, and we're seeing a lot of that kind of like guerrilla filmmaking almost, where you know instead of punching a car and it goes flying 600 feet or something, like he punches a car and we see it from the inside, and there's just a dent, mm-hmm. something. That's probably practical and pretty easy to do, or visual effects wise. Yeah, is just a couple hours of work. Throughout the whole movie, they were showing the front of the front courtyard of this hospital. Yeah. the whole movie. Yeah. So we were already very familiar with the set. Uh-huh. So when the the horde and David get split up, we know where both of them are at the whole time. Even Mister Glad, we know where everyone is at at all times. Yeah, even though the camera hasn't been on someone for thirty seconds. It's absolutely brilliant yeah so the horde start well the the swat team separate them yeah the horde they both are fighting back in defense the horde is like on top of a guy trying to get to him eventually he starts eating one of them yeah and then um david fights off his dudes and then the horde throws him into the water tank yeah and it's like what is going on how does this end they get out of the water tank thank goodness and then there's a little bit of gun in the closet shot on the puddle again, even though we have seen it throughout the movie. Yeah. But there is, we see water going into it, but it's like, whatever. It's just Yeah, you're water. thinking it's just a, a nice exterior shot. Exactly. But then the horde is like about to rip into David. Oh, wait, I just want to say David, it's cool that David puts those the SWAT guys like in a, a locker. And he says like, I'm doing this pr- to protect you. Yeah, it's just so good. And then Joseph walks in front of his Uh dad. uh Actually, I think this is before what you just said, but um, it it, it doesn't really matter. He walks in front of his dad and he goes, he goes, Kevin, wait, wait. There's something you don't know about this. And Mr. Glass says, and this is just speaking to the subversive nature of this movie. He says, 
no, not yet. He can't find this information out yet. He's not even saying, like, never. He just knows from comic books that this has to happen at the Tower. And Kevin says, not Kevin, Joseph says, because he has also read the comic books, it is like, you know that basically the bad guy is always not telling you something. Yeah. Always there is something he's keeping from you. And he's like, yeah, Nadia, don't tell him yet. This is when it's revealed that Kevin's dad died on the train 177, the same train Bruce Willis or David was on in Unbreakable, which means his dad died, which means uh, Glass Kevin killed him. Glass killed him. And Kevin, who was who had already been abused by his mom, the reason his dad went on the train was he was going to try and get custody of Kevin. Yeah. And it also showed him with a pamphlet of like understanding your, someone with DID. Yeah. Just like, so his only safety net was killed. And yeah. this means that Glass also created the Horde. So Glass is like, I create super people. Yes. Holy crap. That's cool. And so what's insane. So he, he creates super people, super, super humans. And we see the shot of Kevin's dad sitting mm-hmm. down in the train and then the camera pans out and it seamlessly transitions oh, it so good. into the shot in the first scene well second scene of unbreakable it's so good i can't even believe it i know i can't even believe it so the horde is so confused shocked if you will yeah. and then the fight seems to be over and casey runs up and touches him and says kevin wendell crumb Feels like superhero to me. Yeah. And he, he turns back into Kevin and um, she, oh, oh, no, no, no. The, the Horde finds out and the Horde pushes glass. And as soon as he like touches him, there's the sound effect of glass breaking. Yeah. Because he basically just destroyed That's his right. entire That's body. Right. Yeah. Crazy internal bleeding, I'm sure. And he's breaking like every bone in his body. Yeah. Then Kevin is called forth, and I just, it is just so sweet. His acting is. I know. Get out of here. Yeah, but Casey. Jordan, get out of this room. Casey's just like, will you stay in the light with me for a while? Like, please just stay with me. And it's just like, oh my gosh, this is, I'm already tearing up at this because what could happen? And then he gets shot. Yeah. By the SWAT team, and we see a clover, a three leaf clover. So when you first saw the movie, did you find that odd? I was like, that's weird. That's that's what well, I thought. Because the the camera like seriously stopped for like a couple yeah. point seconds, and I was like, okay, that means something. Like yeah. like this is the thing that's going to tie the entire movie together. And then we see David Dunn getting drowned in a pool, mm-hmm. uh, in or in the the pothole the puddle, and yeah. um, it's just his head in there. Uh-huh. I mean, that's it. And we see a zoom in on the tattoo. Uh huh. And it's another guy with it, and you're yeah. like, wait, what's going on here? And then Staple reaches out her hand and she goes, um, what does she say? Uh, Just take my hand. Yeah. And he does. And he sees everything. And what's crazy is that harkens back to the end of Unbreakable. Yep. Elijah says, this is when we shake hands. Yep. She does that. And I thought like when he touched her hand, she was going to help him somehow. Oh, yeah. But then you see this room where they're in this restaurant and a couple people leave and then it stops. Basically, it's revealed... There's a secret organization of people, and they find superheroes, and they convince them they're not superheroes, or they kill them, because we can't have gods living among men. Mm. Pretty interesting. And don't forget, in the first movie, Unbreakable, Elijah mentions, when he's explaining to him that he might have a weakness, that there's he had read an issue of a comic book where there was a secret coalition 
And in that secret coalition, they would try and find heroes and find their weaknesses so they could kill them and or capture them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mic drop, M. Night. Come mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And I think when he sees everything and he comes back too, and she's like... Did I almost convince you you were an ordinary man? Oh, and then okay, but I don't. I want to save glass. So okay, we go okay. back to we go back to Kevin and Casey is holding him. He's dying. He's switching in and out of different personalities. Like we already said that that part is just crazy acting. Mm-hmm. But he ends on Kevin, and um, he finds satisfaction. He, I he think, says like he's like I think I think I'm gonna stay here now. You oh. you know like I'm gonna die as Kevin. <sighs> yeah, and. You know, everyone's crying at this point. How could you not be? And it's you, just so, it's so funny how often you say that in scenes that you've I've never seen you cry. It's in. just so sad and just so sweet. It is. It is because he gets resolution because there is a real person inside of this monster, the horde. Yeah. Um, and then we get to glass, and this part actually made me cry. Yeah. When his mom walks up to him and he says, "Mama, I'm special." And like, she's like, you've, I knew you always were. It's like making me tear up to even talk about it. Yeah. Because that's all he's ever wanted was to be special. Yeah. And, and he, he found his, his purpose. Yeah. And he says something that's interesting. And, and I didn't even put this together until you said he created superheroes. Yeah. He says, Mama, this wasn't a limited edition. This was an origin story yeah. the whole time. Yeah. And you're sitting there watching it and you're going, okay. You're like, but everyone's dying so yeah, i don't really not. know how it's an origin story and then ellie staple goes to a comic book shop wait i don't want to skip this part ellie goes up to glass oh and she tells him it's just such great writing because he gets resolution you can't be mad that i didn't write down every line i am a little pissed so she goes up to him and she tells him pretty much verbatim you were right the whole time yeah you are the and he's best like tearing up I yeah mean. and she's like you are the best of the best and you have to understand, like you said, like there cannot be God among men. It just isn't fair. Yeah. But de- I, I hope that you can die with the satisfaction of knowing that you were right, which is like so cold. Yeah. But she, I, you know that she doesn't mean it because mm-hmm. it's like, it's just, it's always really good writing when you really understand the villain and you're kind of like, I don't want him to die though at this yeah, point. Yeah. Like I, I want him. The villain to, like, being him, you're saying? Yes. Because it reminds me of um, Batman and Robin, of all movies, when Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Freeze, does not die at the end. They they see that he has worth. Like, like he can contribute to society. And yeah. they give him yeah. the chance. Yeah. It's just, that's like, okay, that movie's good. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we discussed that yeah. thoroughly four weeks ago. It's just so often the villain just dies. Yeah. And it always makes sense it's justice whatever well it doesn't always make sense but but in superhero things it's just almost like expected yeah but it's just like oh he could have been used for good Mm -hmm. so then ellie staple goes to a comic book shop and she's reading through some stuff Mm -hmm. and she overhears some comic book guys talking a little bit cheesy a little bit hammy i'm into it i don't care and they go i can basically see the bubble the word bubbles yeah that's true and and one of the guys goes well he's he's the best because you know, there's there's the guys that can beat people up, but then there's the guys with the brains, and they those villains always know what's going on, and they're always a step ahead of everyone else, and they knew the whole time what was going on, and then Ellie thinks about it, mm-hmm. and she's going, wait a second, and she runs back to the mental institution, 
Which I think at this point in the movie, so earlier when Elijah was going around the hospital doing whatever you didn't know he was doing, you saw him do stuff on the computer and you were never told what he did. Yeah. And at this point, you've completely forgotten that he was doing anything. You're just like, oh, he's doing bad guy stuff. Yeah. But go ahead. Um, which character were you talking about? Elijah. Elijah. Yes. Yes. Sorry. I was trying to keep track of something. Um, so then she goes back and she goes, hey, was any of the security footage? It was all deleted and stuff. And he goes, oh, yeah, the, the security guy. And then she said, was it ever downloaded at any point? And he goes, oh, that's weird. It was downloaded. He's like, all this code starts going across the screen. And he's like, I have no idea what this is. And then she flashes back to when she says, we have cameras set up everywhere and all this stuff. And then finally, oh, it's revealed. such a great moment. In that yeah, part she, she, she starts screaming on the cameras yeah. because she lost. Oh, I didn't even think that it's on the cameras. Yep. Oh, he did it again. <laughs> <laughs> so all that happens. You know, that's resolved. We know she's going to get her comeuppance. And we don't need to Did this happen that. right after the dinner? Did we already yeah. talk? This is, okay, so you said that they had I the, skipped the dinner. So, but it's like in the flashback, she has this dinner and she's like, it, the problem was eradicated. And if you see fit, I'm going to go off to the next place and do this again. Yeah. Go ahead. So then we see our new three main characters, who's Anya and Taylor Joy, um, Joseph and Mrs. Price. And they show up of all places, a train station. And they the train station that is also in Unbreakable. Well, it's whatever the train station is called in Philadelphia. It's very yeah. famous. And I it's can't in remember. all the movies, but it's Unbreakable. It's in Split and it's in this movie. And, they had been sent, uh, Mr. Glass had sent them the footage, and it's it's all footage from the battle, and it's basically proving to everyone that these heroes are there and, and among yeah. us. Yeah. And then they go to the train station, and it sends to, like, everyone in the world. And I'm crying again because they're all sitting there waiting for the moment to happen, and first there's a close-up on Joseph, and there's a flashback with him and David. I don't remember a specific... Oh, no, was, it's the flashback it? where David shushes him because he discovered oh, that his dad the, is a superhero for sure. the emotional core of Unbreakable? Yes. Yeah, so I'm crying at that part too. And then it goes to... Does it go to Mrs. Price or does it go to Casey? I think it goes to Casey. I think it does. And it's the moment when the Horde realizes that she is pure. Yeah, oh yeah. Also very emotional. And, and they're all wearing green, yellow, yes. purple. Which yeah. is also just acid. Just everyone's crying. <laughs> so then Mrs. Then it goes to Mrs. Price. And what was the flashback for that one? It was when he was a kid. Is it when she's telling him to not... It's to, when she gives him a comic book, I think. I think you're right. Um, On that bench. Which is just the defining moment. Like, it just starts him off for the rest of it. It gives him his... She gives him his destiny. Yes. So... And so then... The video sent out and it goes to everyone and and I think we hear him say like this was an origin story or something like that. So well, then Mrs. Price says that the universe is letting us in. Yeah. So yeah. the implication being that everyone's going to find out about superheroes and now there's a world of superheroes. Mm -hmm. And what's cool is, I guess Glass is the good guy at the end of the day because he created a world of superheroes. He created David Dunn. And he created Kevin, and now he created everyone making this movie an origin story, like it he is. said. I wouldn't say he's a good guy, though. Because, well, it's not but black I, and white. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. That's just what is so interesting about the whole series is he he did end up he carried on their legacy, which is good. Yeah. Because someone came around and was trying to snuff them out, and um, yeah, I mean he he did things. He did very bad things to very, to to a lot of innocent people which is bad but ellie 
is going around with his organization doing bad things to probably a lot of innocent people as well. You know? So it's It's, just... It's unbelievable. And and now the world is going to have superheroes. Mm -hmm. And it's so poetic. Mm -hmm. It's insane. And I, I can't believe that this is not a revered movie. I know. It's it's actually shocking to me when I watch it. Like I don't even understand how someone could walk away. Now I do understand. I had some friends who went and saw this movie and they had never seen Unbreakable. That makes sense to me. This movie doesn't make sense if you haven't seen Unbreakable. That's like going to Endgame and not seeing any other Marvel movies. It's confusing, but you can it's still a good movie. But Oh yeah. It's so good. I love this series. Me too. And I will say I think I've seen most superhero movies. I think this is the auteur series. Yeah, I agree. I would put this above. Um, I mean, there's different categories, I would say. Yeah, but as yeah. far as like originality and just straight artistic intention, whether whether it all works or not, um, I think this is like the defining auteur trilogy. Mm-hmm. I would put The Dark Knight underneath that. Mm-hmm. I think I like some of those movies more than i like some of these i'm not sure though i'm about to find out because that's the series we're covering next Mm -hmm. but those are still like you know it's not like christopher nolan is creating a new character or anything he's adapting well the important part with those movies is like one what does christopher nolan have to say about batman yeah and then also um they they need to represent him as he should be represented yeah because of the source material yeah this is just insane and it should everyone should watch it uh, if if you got through this whole podcast and didn't watch it, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I got to say, though. I think we you covered did. it. Yeah. I think we did it. Yeah. This is one of the biggest series that we've wanted to cover, and we mm-hmm. finally did it, and I, I feel satisfied with how we covered it. This movie, like, we, we've gone through all of Marvel, and I, you know, discovered that I do like most of them. I'm a Marvel fan now. Yeah. But that being said, though, it's like I am so glad that I had to go through dozens of hours of okay movies, whatever movies, to, if we could get this series yeah. of superhero franchises. Yeah. You know? Because without that, I don't know if we would have this. Yeah. Even though all of this started before it. it that's the interesting but, part about it. Yeah. Um. So, and, and, you know, I don't know. I feel like we probably have a lot of new listeners now after we've had some really good guests on our Batman series. So we're, we, we're happier here. Um, in case you didn't know, Jordan is a great artist and she's a writer and she has a blog where she talks about um, folklore and ghost stories and stuff like that. And it's called recountreveal.com. They're like five minute reads. So we haven't shouted that out in a long time. Yeah. So check that out. And I've probably inserted an ad for my concert coming up cool. uh, next week on YouTube. So we'll go to that as well. Uh, this month on Patreon, MPU the sequel, we're covering the Oscars and our predictions. And as of this recording, we only have one more movie to watch mm-hmm. uh, for the nominations of Best Picture. And so we'll go through all that. So join us on Patreon. It's only $3 to get an extra episode every month. So if mm-hmm. you like this show, support us, pretty please. Yeah. Um, and that's patreon.com slash Micah McCaw, M-I-C-A-H-M-C-C-A-W. You also get music because for those of you who don't know, I'm a musician as well. And finally, next week, we're covering the Dark Knight series. We'll be hitting Batman. Yes, finally. And um, for those of you who may be wondering, Black Widow's release date has changed again, but it seems like it's really going to happen in July. So 
Um, we're getting close to covering a new release finally. Yep. Um, which will be very fun. Yeah. So um, we'll see you next week. Uh, adios.